Well, if you return uh, with me in Galatians uh, to chapter 3, and this evening we're going to look at verses 6 to 14, Uh, but I'm going to read from verse 1 to 14 just to put this uh, in context. So Galatians chapter 3, and I'll read from verse uh, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit by work and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is God's word. And I've called uh, this sermon the family uh, resemblance, the family resemblance. And these two men might not be uh, very familiar to any of you, uh, but they are named uh, Zolt and Gaza Paladi, and they come from Hungary. And not that long ago, they were living in a cave uh, as homeless brothers for a number of years. And they knew that their mother was uh, from a wealthy family, but she had severed ties with them before abandoning those two boys, and then she passed away. And their wealthy grandmother, that didn't know them, lived in Germany, and she passed away. And under German law, descendants are automatically entitled to a share of any estate. And it would pass from the boy's dead mother directly to these boys. They didn't know their grandmother. 
They'd been abandoned by their mother. They'd lived in a cave, and all of a sudden, they inherited four billion pounds. And it was distributed between these two boys and a sister, who obviously didn't live in the cave with them. (laughs) They didn't know the grandmother, but the lawyers of the deceased grandmother found through lineage that these two boys were the descendants, and they employed charity workers to to find them. They did all sorts of uh, things to to work out the boys uh, were the ones to inherit. All they had to do, these boys and their sister, was to show that they were related to the grandmother, that they had the family resemblance. And they had to just do some DNA tests to prove their identity, and it was confirmed that these boys were the grandchildren, and so they inherited with their sister four billion pounds. Can you imagine? You lived in a cave, you were homeless, and then one day you are a billionaire. All they had to do was prove the family resemblance. Now this story helps to illustrate what Paul teaches in this section of Galatians. The children of Abraham receive from God an extravagant, unfathomably rich blessing. But how do we know that we are his children? What is the family resemblance? And what we'll see in this passage is that we are his children when we have the spiritual DNA of the family, which is faith in Jesus Christ. So we're in a section of Galatians where Paul is proving with various arguments the truth of chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. Look at this verse, because as a hint, we'll try and memorize this next week. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is proving with various arguments, we are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Last week we saw that Paul's argument, his proof, was from experience. The Galatians' conversion showed that they weren't made right with God by works of the law. They received the Holy Spirit by believing the word preached of Christ crucified. That was their experience. But experience on its own is not enough. Paul goes on to argue these ver- from these verse, in these verses from the Old Testament scriptures. And that, by the way, is a good lesson for us. Uh, Our testimony is helpful and good, but we've got to go from our experience to the Scriptures. We've got to prove from the Scriptures, from the Word of God, that Jesus is the Christ. The Scriptures is where we derive our authority to say the Gospel is true, not from our experience alone. And so Paul, in these verses, gives a Bible study from the life of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith, a hero to his descendants. No doubt Abraham was being used by the false teachers in the Galatian churches as an example of someone who was circumcised after he had initially put his faith in Jesus, 
uh, after he's, sorry, after he initially put his faith in God. And so the false teachers would have been saying, well, look, Abraham put faith in God, but that wasn't enough because, look, he got circumcised. But Paul uses Abraham's story to show that Abraham was made right with God before he was circumcised. In fact, he was made right with God before he did anything. Abraham was justified by faith. And what we see is that the DNA of being right with God, the DNA of the children of Abraham, is faith. And if we want to inherit the extravagant, amazing blessing of being children of Abraham, then we need to have the same kind of faith he had. That's the point Paul makes in this passage. And that's really the big point number one. We are children of Abraham by faith. In verse 6, Paul begins his turning to the Scriptures by drawing our attention to Abraham. And before we uh, look at verse 6 in detail, it's worth thinking about who Abraham was. Uh, Paul assumed his readers would know, but not everyone here might know who he was. So let me explain where Abraham comes in the story of the Bible. So in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, after the creation, Adam and Eve sinned. And mankind has been living under a curse ever since then. Blessing is life in the presence of God. And Adam and Eve were under blessing when they were in the Garden of Eden. They were in God's presence, under God's rule. It was a time of blessing and flourishing. Curse is life outside the presence of God, outside, away from the source of life. So the source of life is God. The tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were outside because of sin, separated from God. They were cursed. And over time in Genesis, the world just gets worse. Even after it was judged by the flood, it still continues to be under this curse. And in Genesis chapter 11, the world has descended into the chaos of the Tower of Babel where a worldwide rebellion against God was judged by languages being confused. This was life under the curse. It was death, confusion, rebellion against God. It was cursed. And in Genesis 12, the story of the Bible takes a turn, where God chooses a man who comes to be known as Abraham, And he blesses him. In a cursed world, Abraham receives a blessing. And God tells him that he's going to have a huge family who will be a blessing to all nations. The people who have just been scattered and who live under the curse and have become all sorts of nations are going to be blessed through Abraham. Uh, Let me draw your attention to Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is the promise God made to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through this one man, peoples of the earth who live under the curse will have it reversed through this family, Abraham's family. The blessing of God where we flourish under his rule will return. What Abraham has to do is trust in God's wisdom and believe 
God's promise. But the problem for Abraham was that as good as this sounded, yes, this is wonderful. I want to be under God's blessing. I want this promise to come true and see this curse reversed. The problem was he and his wife Sarah were old and they didn't have any children. And when I'm saying old, I mean very old, above the age of childbearing, in their 80s. And in the years following this promise, they, they still were not having children. And this is the context of Genesis 15, which is where Paul quotes from in verse 6. We read Genesis 15 earlier. Notice verse 6 is a quote from that verse, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Abraham was asking God how the promise can be fulfilled without him having children, and and God promised him that he and Sarah would have a child. And to encourage Abraham, God told him, look at the stars, count them if you can, which he did. Obviously, he didn't count them all, but he, he, he tried to count them. And God told him, so shall your offspring be. And at this point, the writer of Genesis says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Notice that's Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Righteousness is, is being made right with God. And so able to live under his blessing, not his curse. Abraham was not made righteous by his physical birth. He was actually born into a family of pagan idol worshippers. He was not made righteous by his behavior. We see in Genesis he was a sinner, just like all of us. Abraham was not made righteous by his circumcision. That hadn't even happened, even at this point in Genesis 15. Abraham was not made right by his law-keeping because the law hadn't been given. Rather, Abraham was credited with righteousness when he believed the promise of God. To credit is an accounting term. Righteousness was placed into his accounts as a gift. It was a righteousness that was not his. He was given it. It's a bit like if you have a, most of you probably do have, not if, most of you do have a bank account. Imagine if you've got your bank account, all of a sudden you look at your account tomorrow and there's a bunch of money in there that you didn't expect. It's been credited to your account. That's what this is meaning here. Except this isn't money that's credited to us. It is righteousness. A righteousness that we cannot earn because of our sin. It is given to us as a gift. It was not done by Abraham's works. It's not done by our works. It was given to Abraham because he believed the promise of God that he would be blessed by God. It was Abraham's belief or Abraham's faith that he was credited with righteousness. And this righteousness means that Abraham has a a legal status as right with God and so is not condemned for his sin. In other words, in the language of chapter 2 and verses 15 and 16, which we've looked at before, he was justified. He was made right with God. And so in verse 7, Paul draws out the implications for how we can receive God's blessing. So notice verse 6, Abraham received it by believing God. And then he says, understand then, or this is what the implications are, understand then that those who have faith, are children of Abraham. Do you see? 
What makes a child of Abraham is someone who, like Abraham, has faith in God's word. Faith is the DNA of the child of Abraham. It's the family resemblance. While circumcision marked a Jew, faith marks the children of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. Being a child of Abraham means we receive the blessing of Abraham. And this was always what God's plan was. Look at verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. The plan of God given in the scriptures that was proclaimed right at the beginning in Genesis 12 was that the Gentiles would be blessed, that they would be justified by faith. This was the good news that we read of, that Scripture foresees. The plan of God, the blessing of Abraham, has always been that the Gentiles, just like Abraham, would be made right with God through faith in Jesus. The blessing here in verse 8 is justification. It is a right standing with God. It is being forgiven of your sin. It is made right. And that's the beginning of the blessing because we'll see it expanded at the end of our passage to to, to see more of what it means. But right at the start, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing that we receive as his children, is being made right with God by faith in Jesus. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, or whatever you might be, wherever you're from, We're children of Abraham, receiving the blessing of righteousness from God by faith in what Jesus has done for us. And so we must, in the words of verse 9, rely on faith to be blessed, just like Abraham was, a man of faith. Faith here in the context of Galatians is trusting in God's promise in the New Testament that Jesus Christ has died in our place on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and that he's risen from the dead and that all we need to find righteousness, to find forgiveness, is faith in what he has done for us. That's what we all believe if we call ourselves Christian. And then this impacts our lives as we live according to the word of God and continue to have faith that his word is true. That's the family resemblance. Uh, When Paula and I first uh, got together, just before we we got married, uh, I took her to meet my father. Now, I had not lived with him uh, since I was four years old, and I rarely saw him. But when we went to see this man, Paula was struck by how similar so many of our mannerisms were. She was struck by how some of the things that irritated his partner irritated her about me. She was struck by things he did and said that were very similar to what I did and said, and I had not even lived with this man since I was four years old. Later on uh, in our married life, um, I was trimming my beard, and I hit the trimmer, and took a chunk off. 
And so I had to get rid of it, but I kept the mustache for about a minute. Because when she saw me, she said, get rid of it now. You look exactly the same as your dad. Not that my dad's that bad looking. I think he's quite handsome. But (laughs) Paula did not want to be thinking of my dad whenever she was looking at me. And so I had to get rid of the mustache. Similarly, there is a family resemblance for the children of Abraham. It is not a physical resemblance like a blood relative, but it's the resemblance of faith, the resemblance of faith that makes us all brothers and sisters. And this faith from which we receive God's blessing is ingrained in the very depth of our being, just like my dad's DNA is ingrained in the very depth of my being. And so I guess the question we ought to ask ourselves is when people look at our lives, do they see a family resemblance in us? Do people look at your life and see something different that looks like other people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ? That's a challenge, isn't it? Because it should look different from the world, but similar to one another. In this letter, um, we're going to see more of what that family resemblance looks like practically as Paul goes on uh, later in Galatians. But here, he's arguing that we, the family resemblance is faith in Jesus. The temptation from the false teachers was to add to what Jesus had done by trusting in their works to save them, specifically the works of the Jewish law. And Paul goes on to explain that it's only faith in Jesus that provides us with God's blessing. And in fact, we are cursed by relying on the works of the law. This is what verses 10 to 12 is about. If we rely on the law, or in fact, if we rely on anything else apart from Jesus, we're not going to receive God's blessing. But not only that, we are cursed, cursed. So Paul develops his Bible study further by giving three verses from the Old Testament in verses 10 to 12 that show us that works of the law cannot provide us with God's blessing. So verse 10 quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. And in this chapter of Deuteronomy, God's people are on uh, mountains declaring cursing and blessings to each other The blessings come as God's law is obeyed, and the cursings come as God's law is disobeyed. And the 26th verse of Deuteronomy 27 is what Paul quotes here in Galatians. He says, and he quotes, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, did Israel do this? Did they continue to do everything written in the book of the law? Well, if you read the rest of your Old Testament, you'll see the answer is no. No, they did not. And so if they were relying on their works of the law to give them God's blessing, they were going to be very disappointed because they didn't keep it. And similarly, do we keep God's law? Do we always do what is right continually? No. And so if we're relying on our own righteousness to make us right with God, then we also are going to be under the curse. Verse 11, Paul quotes from Habakkuk to show us that God did not intend to provide us with righteousness by works. 
Clearly, we aren't justified by works, Paul says, because the righteous will live by faith. By faith. That's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. You're cursed if you don't keep the law, but God has said we will live, or we will have eternal life. We will be made right with God by faith, just like Abraham. That's faith in his promise to bless, which in the New Testament is through Jesus. So first of all, Paul shows, if you don't keep the law, continually you're under a curse. Secondly, he shows the righteous live by faith. And then third, Paul shows that faith and works cannot be side by side, because one is trusting in God's work and one in our own. Look at verse 12. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Paul quotes from Leviticus 18, verse 5. If we do the law, we will live. But the problem is we don't do the law, we, we fail in the law, and we don't live, therefore we're under God's curse. You can't have the works of the law and faith side by side. They don't match. Paul is saying it's absurd to seek to be justified through the law because the law is what condemns us for not following it. Uh, one writer uh, helpfully says that it's like expecting to be warmed by a keen northern blast or to have our thirst quenched by a draft of liquid fire. It's absurd to try and be made right by the works of the law because the works of the law condemn you because we can't keep them. And so Paul shows, using their own scriptures, that the false teachers are wrong to say that we will receive God's blessing by relying on the works of the law. He draws out the implications, which are that we remain under God's curse. And in applying this, I think it's helpful to see how Paul shows the Galatians the implications of what the false teachers are teaching. He, 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 he takes their teaching and he takes it to its logical conclusion, which is the curse. And here's what I want us to see this evening. All false teaching ends up with the curse. All of it. And it's helpful for us also when we're hearing things that are contrary to the Scriptures, to follow it through to its logical conclusion so that we can see that it is a curse. So let me give a couple of examples. So today, perhaps more than anything else, we are hearing that we will flourish and be blessed when we can have whatever sexuality we want to have and we can be whatever gender we want to be. We are told that's the way to blessing. You will flourish under this. Well, it's helpful for us to, let's, to, to take it to its logical conclusion. Or to look around at, at what is going on in our world. Look at what life is like under the rule of that idol. Of you can, you can be whoever you want. You can have sex with whoever you want. You can be whatever gender you want to be. You can go under the knife to change your gender. Look at what life is like under that God. There are 
there, there is pain and there is confusion. There is a rise in, in sexual abuse. There is the destruction of broken homes. There is a devastating impact on children and on women. And we're told that that's flourishing. Look at it. Isn't that curse? Isn't it? And then compare that to God's plan in the scriptures of of human marriage and ultimately the marriage between Christ and the church, the relationship we have with Jesus and how the earthly picture points to a, a heavenly reality which is where true blessing is found. And then imagine what a world would be like if everyone followed God's plan. Isn't that blessing? You see? Follow false teaching in your mind to its conclusion. See where it leads, and you will always see it leads to the curse. Always. And then, just as a different kind of example altogether, think about your own personal experience of being tempted to sin. Satan makes it all sound so good, and, it's, and, 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 and a blessing. You know, he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? Did God really say? And then he says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Blessing, he says. But it all comes unraveling, doesn't it, in the end, when we realize that this isn't blessing at all. If nothing else, then Satan comes to us and tells us how rubbish we are. But then we live with the implications of our foolishness, which is like living under the curse. It's rubbish. Now, we'll see we're not under the curse. But when we choose to deviate from God's plan, we are going the way of the curse. And it never works out to be the blessing Satan tells us it's going to be, ever. When we choose to turn away from God's plan, we are turning down the path signposted curse that Satan's just painted over and called blessing. And ultimately, if you're here this evening and you reject God completely, you suffer the permanent exile and curse of hell for eternity, which is the final destination of all who rebel against God's rule. We are cursed by relying on the works of the law, but we are cursed with any kind of way that is away from God's plan. So, Paul's taken us through this Bible study, but verses 13 and 14 also speak of the curse in a most wonderful way. In fact, um, We've been learning chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Next week, I think it'll be helpful to learn chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. But if you want some extra homework, learn these two verses. Learn them. Put them in your minds and have them soak into your hearts because they are both weighty and wonderful. What we see in verses 13 and 14 is that we are cured of the curse by Christ. Because outside of Christ, all of us are under God's curse. But look at verse 13. Look at how awesome this verse is. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Christ redeemed us. The word redeem comes from the world of slavery, where a slave was bought at a price. We are under the curse, and there is a cost to buy us back from being under the curse. The cost was the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he bought us by becoming a curse for us. Paul shows that Christ became a curse by showing how the cross fulfilled what was spoken of as a curse in the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 is what he quotes from in verse 13. When a person was put to death for a capital offense in the Old Testament, the body was put on public display as a public humiliation that showed they were under God's curse that they were suffering the consequences for their sin by their death. And Jesus was nailed to a cross publicly, and it showed everybody he was under God's curse. Notice the language, as we often see in Scripture, of substitution. We are under God's curse for our sin, but Christ became a curse for us. He exchanged places with us. This is the cure. For the Son of God became a curse for us. The one who was eternally in the bosom of the Father was exiled from his presence, cursed for us. He was removed from God's blessing for us. He shed his blood for us. He suffered hell for us. He took the consequences of the curse that are deservedly ours upon himself for us, for you, for me. We deserve the full wrath of God. We deserve to be under his curse, but Christ was cursed for us. Isn't that truly amazing that he was cursed for us? We deserve to be under his curse. He was cursed for us. And then in verse 14, we see why Jesus was cursed for us. Again, weighty and wonderful words. He redeemed us. Why? In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus Christ was cursed for us so that we wouldn't suffer the curse, but rather we would experience the blessing given to Abraham. A blessing given not just to Jews, but to Gentiles who put their faith in what Christ has done on the cross. What is this blessing? Well, in verse 8 we saw that the blessing was justification being made right with God. But here the blessing is extended to show us that it includes the promise of the Spirit. The blessing of God, remember in the Garden of Eden, was life with God under his rule. The blessing of of life in the presence of God. Life as we're made to live. And the Spirit of God coming on us enables us to live under his rule with him present with us. Again, as we move on through Galatians, we're going to see this 
in more detail, especially in chapters 5 and 6, about what life in the Spirit looks like. But just as a heads up, it's blessing. That's what life in the Spirit is. It's blessing. We are right with God. God lives in us, and we live under his blessing as we live out the way that he made us to live. As we come to a conclusion, I want to draw your attention to where the plan of redemption ends because the promise to Abraham is fulfilled in us by faith in Jesus when we receive the Holy Spirit. But that's not where it all ends. It actually ends in the new creation where we read this. Notice the language of curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. That's blessing. There it is. That's where we'll be if we have faith in Jesus Christ. No curse. The world around us will no longer be cursed. We won't have the effects of the curse in our lives anymore and we will live as we're made to live. God with us, us serving him forevermore. That's what we receive because Christ was cursed for us. Brothers and sisters, even more than the homeless men in the cave receiving billions, as cool as that might sound, we have hit the jackpot. What they received is nothing in comparison to this because we're children of Abraham and we receive the blessing of God as Abraham's heirs. We are justified. We have eternal life. We have the spirit in us transforming us and we're on our way to a world where there is no curse where the throne of God and the Lamb will be and we'll serve him forever. And no amount of billions of pounds will even come close to comparing what we will have in Christ on that day. Why, oh why, would we consider another way? Why would we think that the lies of Satan would be true? Why would we want to go down the path of the curse when we have the blessing right here in front of us? Why would we disobey God when we have life under his blessing. And it's only through Jesus that we receive this life and experience that life in its fullness under his blessing. And I think where I'll finish is in these words from Deuteronomy as well. Paul is a little bit like Moses in this regard here in Galatians 3. Moses said, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Brothers and sisters, let us choose life. Let us choose blessing. Let us choose Christ and put our faith in him. What we're going to do now is we're going to finish uh, by singing. Uh, We're going to sing two songs uh, of the cross. We're going to sing, first of all, uh, Yes, Finished, which speaks of how Christ has been cursed for us. Then we're going to have a time of prayer. Uh, and then we're going to sing again uh, of just what we have in Christ on the cross. So, first of all, let's stand. Let's praise God for what he has done uh, by singing, Yes, Finished, the Messiah dies.
Thank you.